Good to have you along here. It is three and out on this Thursday. I am Kevin Thomas. And the guy's voice you'll hear next is a familiar voice. You just heard him. He was on second down. Christian Gokel. Yeah, they thought they got rid of me. What was that? You thought I was gonna say what now? No, they thought I got they thought they got rid of me. Oh. You you can't get rid of Christian. Here I stand. He's here. He's filling in for Ben today. Of course, tomorrow we'll have Braves baseballs. The Braves go to the Cubs and looking for fifteen in a row. That will be the tied for the longest streak in the history of the franchise, uh, if they were able to do it. We'll get to that coming up just a little bit. Also, Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI, going to join us. And we'll talk to uh, Gaurav Vidak, our uh, our guy there with Battery Power on SB Nation, who came on a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, give it until like the 15th, 16th of June. Michael Harris is going to be balling. Well, it's the 15th, 16th of June, and Michael Harris is balling. Yes. So we have to have him back on to uh, give him his kudos. I'm glad it's not booze because I did say, hey, I'll bring you back on. And if he's bad, then I'll, I'll, I'll just give you crap about that. But, no, 15 in a row, uh, this is unbelievable. And all I see now are Mets fans whining on social media. Like, why, are you, why, why is everybody, like, focusing on the win streak? You're still four back. Uh, yeah, because your lead was 10 and a half two weeks ago. It's been eviscerated. Four games is nothing when you're going head-to-head as much as the, uh, the Braves and Mets are. And, you know. For all the New York fans suddenly getting self-righteous, when's the last time you won anything? And I'm not talking about the fake celebration at spring training of, hey, here's what we're going to do when we win the World Series. Oops! Yeah. You you are the oldest, or the longest now deficit without a World Series in the East. The Marlins have won more recently. The Phillies, the Nationals, and the Braves all have one more recently. But Mets fans, I'll say it, sounds like they're scared. They should be. <laughs> Just saying. They had the historically the tied for the biggest division lead ever. Since divisions became a thing in baseball, going into June, they had the biggest lead ever at 10 and a half games. Eviscerated. And all of a sudden you're looking back and it's four. And look, I, I do love the take of, well, you're just beating up on bad teams. Well, yeah, exactly. I think a right. win against the Pirates counts the same as a win against the Dodgers. I believe it does. And the Pirates got three of those. Good. But, but look, it, it all evens out. As I said, I believe the Mets will have a chance to play the Pirates. The Mets will have a chance to play the Rockies. It's all, it's all the same. The Braves are doing what I feel like a good team is supposed to do, which is kick bad teams in the teeth. Right? Everybody knew this team was underachieving, too talented to play the way they were playing. And you got to go kick. Now, did anybody foresee 14 games in a row happening? No. But I, I said a number of times here on the show, look, this team's got a 9 out of 12, a, a 10 out of 13 run in them. And maybe we're seeing it right now, except it's 14 in a row, and you're making up huge ground. Uh, and, and good on them. Uh, because, look, Ronald Acuna, if anybody hasn't been paying attention, has been rough at the plate the last four, four nights or so. Sure. I think he was 0 for 6 last night. And the Braves are not only winning, they're winning easily. Matt Olson has not been hitting the ball necessarily great in this last series, and they're winning. So you're two kind of guys. It's been everybody else. Austin Riley's been balling, and the bottom of your lineup last night was six for eight between RC and Harris and four RBIs. That'll get that'll play every single night of the week if you can get that. And don't look now, uh, but all you guys and gals who love to hate on the guy that plays shortstop, of the guys that play every day, and I can't count Michael Harrison that yet because he's only played two weeks, and Arcia just got back in there. Dansby 
now has the best batting average of your regulars in the lineup at, what, 297. It's amazing how quick it can flip, but I would say this. If there's something you want to hammer, it's Ronald Acuna. Like, if there's if wherever you do your gambling, I know we're in the state of Georgia, <laughs> yeah. but wherever you do your gambling, it's Ronald Acuna with a leadoff hit tomorrow because he's on an 0 for 10 Yeah, you still the last see two nights. Yeah, you just don't see that. And he's been a little bit of a strike. He was like the one the guy that before, did. One for five. Yeah. he's So that's what? Uh, one for 15? Yeah. Yeah, that's not good. So if there's one guy that's destined to bust out of it, as you said, it's him. So when does this thing end, Christian? Because you're playing the Cubs. It's tough. If the wind's blowing out, who knows what happens. The Cubs, though, are out there pitching position players every other day, it seems like. And then you get the Giants and Dodgers next week. I mean, is there any chance we're talking about, what, 17 in a row going into Monday's series with San Francisco? Can I put on my B.J. Bennett hat? <laughs> don't, don't. When are they, when I, I mean, I when know it's going to lose. Probably tomorrow. And, well, I'll say this, I though, mean, it's bound to happen. I get it. If, if you want me to extrapolate it out more than, like, you're destined to lose probably the next one until you do. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Morton, and I go back to when you had some double headers at the beginning of the year, and he was the vet. And so he got to choose whether he wanted to start the first game or the second game of the doubleheaders. He chose the first game and he got smoked. So for whatever reason, but he base- gets a day off today. Baseballs, well, he gets five. Well, I mean, days I off. mean, everybody. Oh, yeah, does, he, yeah. He, he gets but a bunch an extra of days day. Off. How about that? Yeah, he gets a bunch of days off, but he just doesn't do great for whatever reason during day games. And it seems to be a commonality among Braves pitchers that it's early innings that get him. Ian Anderson, if he can just get out of the first inning, you're like, okay, it's over. Yeah, <laughs> he's good. But if he, if he gets stuck, you're like, okay, they might put up a four spot here. Charlie Morton's had a little bit of that this year as well, and especially in these early games. So, But that being said, even if Charlie Morton gives up four in the first, right. he's able to settle down and guide you and say you give up five in the game. Okay, do you feel comfortable if you're the Cubs that five are enough to be this lineup right now? Yeah. No, I mean, look, this lineup is dangerous. I don't, I don't know. And last year was pretty bad. I mean, I, I say pretty bad in terms of a day. Like when you yeah. brought in Solaire and all that, I really like this lineup. With Michael Harris, I mean, if Ozzy was still in there, I, I mean, as I asked Ben yesterday, where's your where's your easy get better? Where If you're a starting pitcher right now, where's the guy you go, huh, I can breathe a second and I can get an out here? Where's really, really can't. And I'll say this, maybe it was Adam Duvall, but he might be the hottest bat in your lineup right yeah. now. Ever since they moved him out of center field, which Take I that don't pressure know, off of him, yeah. I, I don't know how real that is. I mean, does he look like a center fielder? I'm not trying, no, <laughs> I'm trying to just, put I, that on him. I don't know how real that is. It's like, oh, that's all it was, that magic stroke from Brad Snicker. You move Adam Duvall out of center field, all of a sudden well, he's a 400 hitter. Well, when he was in center field, he was kind of playing center half, you know, because you had Marcellus on the other <laughs> yes. side. So I, I would say that takes some stress off. Now you got a guy that can cover a whole bunch of ground. Playing next year, I, I think that would be a little bit of stress uh, if you know the guy next to you is not not awesome defensively. Is that putting it nice? Is that putting it nicely uh, for Marcelo Zuna, uh, who who doesn't really cover a lot of ground, doesn't have a strong arm, and probably shouldn't be out there? Uh, I would say that's a little bit of a stress. And you're coming off a year. I mean, people forget this. Adam Duvall had what forty homers last year. I mean, he yeah. had a monster monster year. And he probably had some expectations on himself that, hey, I'm going to come out here and with this lineup roll again. But, look, I, I look at this team and dangerous. That's all I can think is, as you said, is 3 nothing enough? Some nights it might be, but, I mean, a lot of nights, where, where are you going to feel good? 
And da- well, yeah, Orlando Arcia, you figure, like, okay, they just lost their all-star second baseman in sure. Ozzy Albies for probably 60 days uh, at least yeah. until he's back. And, okay, that might be the soft spot. Orlando Arcia, like, mashing home runs. Yeah, I mean, for a couple days, we'll see if it lasts. I'm well, not no, saying it you, won't, but you I mean. You mentioned this. He's, he's been a all-star caliber starting shortstop sure. before. Yeah, he for is. For a playoff he, Brewers team. He, and if he wasn't on this team, he could probably be starting yeah. for somebody else uh, in, in the league, but... Yeah, I, I look at it right now. You say, man, Dansby is really rolling. He is batting. I mean, if he's not, he is batting between Acuna and Austin Riley. Austin Riley gets Matt Olson for protection. Matt Olson has got Travis Darno, who is really starting to come on as as protection for him. I mean, I will say this: Austin Riley needs to stay in that three spot for the next ten years. <laughs> I mean, I quit playing around the, with it. The dude is a a a a a, a horse in that in that position. Eighteen home. I start saying like he's eighteen homers. And he's still got three and a half months left. I mean, he's on a pace for over 40, yeah. uh, which would be huge. And, man, it is a lot of fun to watch this team play night in and night out. And what goes into a winning streak, sometimes it's as simple as the following. Christian, I saw this uh, for the Braves during the streak. First in the league in runs scored. First in the league in home runs over that span. Lowest ERA. Highest strikeout rate amongst uh, the pitchers, meaning they're getting the most. So they're striking out the most batters. They're, keeping, they're giving up the fewest runs, scoring the most runs, and hitting the most homers. If you win in those four categories, you're, you're going to win a lot of games. Yeah, you're going to be okay. I guess the one thing I would say is there really hasn't been that much of an adjustment in terms of approaches. It was the snit pep talk. It was just, well, yeah, they said it like that might go down in Braves history. It's like the greatest pep talk. But I mean, uh, really, what did history. he say? Because he's like, because somebody asked him, he's like, are you the chair throwing guy? Yeah. He's like, no. He's like, that doesn't work with the guys now. He goes, if we we're, if I was coaching back in the 80s, yeah, you turn over a chair, you throw some food in the locker room and tell somebody else to clean it up. And all I wonder that. if what but, he said was, hey, we I, did this last year. We can do it again. If you're not performing, we're going to trade your ass at the All-Star yeah, break. Oh, I don't know about that. But no, I mean, and we're going we're gonna to go get somebody like we did last year. Who could do something? I, I, to me, think it's as simple as, guys, you're better than this. Right? I mean, you go in there like, you guys are professionals. We're defending World Series champs. We have not won more than two games the in a row the whole season. Like, you're better than that. Yep. Matt Olson, you're a gold glove first baseman. You're making errors. Like, I, and again, I'm not saying he did that to put pressure on, but I think it's more of a confidence booster of, guys, quit worrying about what we haven't done. You're better than this. Go out there and step it up a notch. And, I mean, Dansby's been on a tear. I mean, you've seen pretty much the entirety of the lineup take a significant step forward. In baseball, it's usually not that way. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, okay, this guy is carrying us for two weeks. This guy's carrying us, and a couple of guys are hitting at the same time. I mean, it's been everybody in the lineup seemingly uh, pretty consistently. Maybe it's not every night, but every other night, it's somebody doing something. And it is a lot of fun to watch when they're out there going out and, and doing their thing and as you said, if you're a fan of the Braves, Austin Riley, young player. Yeah. Dansby Swanson, young player. Now, I know you got to get those guys under longer-term contracts. Acuna, long-term contract. What are you doing with Contreras? And I mean, Darno. I, I mean, honestly, I, I think Contreras, I, I like Darno, but he's not the long-term answer. I think you got to keep Contreras up. And I think, depending on how Travis plays this year, you look at him and say, look, you're getting older in your career. We have got. I think it's more of a situation you're developing with. Um, I feel like a three-two split, like Kurt Suzuki and uh, and Tyler Flowers, where it's like, look. Except they're both much better than. Ex- well, hundred percent, hundred percent. But I'm talking about in terms of the rotation, where it's, hey, Travis, you're getting older in your career. We want to keep you. We want to pay you. 
but you're not going to have to catch every day. And we now have the added bonus of throwing you in a DH where you don't have to squat, but you can still yeah. go out there. Well, I think I'll, that I'll will be appealing this. to Contreras keep both of them. has been really good at the plate. He isn't anywhere close no, to Travis Darno behind the plate. But I think that's why and, you can keep him around yeah. and kind of help him out. And I think it's it's it would behoove us to remember what Travis Darno has done for this team because even when they made the run uh, where they blew the lead against the Dodgers, right? Still, the fact that he's guiding Ian Anderson as I'm a not rookie saying, through I'm not saying the get playoffs, it's hard to it's hard I'm, for me to be like. I'm saying the right. other guy needs to hit more. That's yeah. really what the, what what well, it comes the down DH to. The and the NL, yeah. that makes it a little bit easier for you. And that's you. why I think you could elongate the career of Travis Darno a little bit as well and say, hey, Travis, help this guy defensively. You don't have to catch as much, but you can still play, right? I mean, you can still be in the lineup and hit. I, to me, that's a selling point. But Contreras, I mean, Albies is, what, 27? I mean, everybody on this team except for Adam Duvall and Travis Darno is sub-30. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 unbelievable. And then you look at the pitching. Freed, Kyle Wright. I'm not counting Mike Soroka just yet until I see him come back. Spencer Strider, Ian Anderson. I, I don't think you have a pitcher in the rotation, again, outside of Charlie Morton, over 30 years old. This is a young team that just won it all and potentially could be doing this for a number of years. Now, I'm not, when I say doing this, I'm not chalking up, you know, championships. Back to back. But this should be a team that should be contending for a while. I'll say that. Thousand right? percent they, agree. They, they they should be contending. I'm not going to get arrogant like the Red Sox and be like, we finally won a World Series after 100 years. We should be winning one all the time. No, but this is a team that should be contending. You should be winning playoff series every year. I, I don't think that's a a, a small re, a small leap to make. Uh, not at all. We'll talk more Braves as we go throughout the show. U.S. Open tees off. I know Christian's all fired up. He loves talking live golf. <laughs> no, but the U.S. Open, the major is here. We'll talk to Brooks Lawson, though. We're talking dogs football. It just never slows down. If you're living in dogland in, uh, in Athens, something's going on all the time. And Brooks Austin, Dogs Dale, and SI will join us when we return here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out. I am Kevin Thomas. He is Christian Gokel filling in for Ben Troop here on this Thursday afternoon. Athens, always a uh, hopping place when it comes to, uh, to college football and certainly you win a national championship, that's not going to slow uh, anything down. And joining us here from Dogs Daily on SI, good friend of the show, Brooks Austin, joins us here on 3 and Out. Brooks, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well, gentlemen. I'll tell you what, I think Satan himself will walk outside today and go, mm, I don't know, a little too hot for me. Oh, it's not hot, Brooks. Hot's like... Yeah, this is melting. Yeah, Hawks like 82, 83. This is like uninhabitable. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little bit nuts right now. Uh, but you can you can bet your bottom dollar that uh, the Georgia Bulldogs are out running and conditioning in the heat in Athens. I guarantee it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and Brooks, uh, how have things been going on the recruiting front? I know what was it last weekend? Huge number or two weekends ago, huge number of recruits coming in, getting the white uh, unis that aren't going to get worn uh, coming into Athens. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, winning a national championship? Does it give you the old boost in recruiting, or is it not really changed? when you're already at the top like Kirby's been for so long. Yeah, I was about to say, I mean, he's had seven recruiting classes, and he's finished in the top three, six of the last seven. Three of the last six, I think he's finished in the number one overall class by consensus. So, I mean, it's, you win a national title, that's great. You just kind of kind of got to keep doing what you've been doing on the recruiting trail. But the only thing that has changed, gentlemen, is the kind of like the recruiting calendar in general. You've seen a lot more kids, obviously, early enroll. Um, I think they had 
17 kids early enrolled from their last class. So the, the recruiting calendar's gotten pushed up much more. So official visits are now really emphasized in the summer. Um, and, and the recruiting wave really starts in June. I mean, in the early, late May, actually. They've probably had eight or nine kids on official visits at least every single weekend. Um, this weekend, no difference. All right, Brooks. One of the think bigger storylines coming out of spring and really going into summer now is the fact that we've seen in prior years, right, Kirby Smart isn't a guy who's going to try to flip an entire unit through the transfer portal, but, hey, my secondary's a little bit young. Why don't I go get a Darian Kendrick uh, out of Clemson, right? I can pick and choose and go get guys. I think his first year, right, brought Mo Smith uh, from Alabama, right? I, I can add some guys that I feel like I need while at the same time developing and recruiting the guys that I really wanted from the get-go. None of that this year. There's been some losses, right? Jermaine Burton uh, is now at Alabama and you have a few other guys, a bunch of DBs uh, now spread out around the SEC that used to play for you, but Georgia hasn't brought anything back in. Is that just comfort with who he has or was there just nobody out there that he felt like could improve the team? So I think it was a little bit of a a multi kind of faceted discussion here, Christian. I think you look at like the transfer portal market prior to NIL becoming a thing last summer the transfer portal market was more about, hey, if you need a starter, go grab one, right? If you need you need a piece, go grab one, go search for one. They're probably there. They are abundant. Now the NIL has kind of been involved. You see a lot more transfers going to a lot more singular places um, that kind of do these things, right? I think USC has been a prominent feature in the NIL, or not the NIL, but the transfer portal market, right? This offseason, they have kind of swooped up and transformed their entire roster the, uh, the transfer portal and whatever that that comes with it right now in, in, in today's age of college football. I'll tell you one thing that I know about covering Georgia. One, they're not really here for these NIL discussions. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Google Jeer Moorhead, folks, and the words NIL. Or just Google it. Type it into the Google machine. You'll find out that the University of Georgia's president is probably the loudest and most outspoken about how this stuff needs to be regulated. Georgia ain't playing it. So if the tra- market is playing it, Georgia probably ain't going to go out there and land all these things and all these different additions in one offseason, especially now that it's become real NIL heavy, guys. I mean, but obviously there's still opportunity. I mean, you win the national championship, Stetson walked right into one. I mean, just, beca- I mean, just because you're not out there, uh, you know, putting it forward, like I, I think was uh, Nick Saban kind of accusing Jimbo of doing it. You know, it's like, hey, we're wink, wink, nod, nod. I mean, there's, there's still opportunities there, even if you're not, hey, this is the reason to come here because we can hook you up with some scratch, right? And, I mean, and the other thing is, like, what did you need help at? Like, where did you need help? If anything, there's log jams everywhere. There's really, really talented football players that are maybe seeking talent or, you know, opportunities elsewhere, Jermaine Burton, because other people are getting carries or, or touches because there's a, a, an abundance of talent. I mean, there's still limited spots, guys. There's still limited, you know, opportunities and there's a bunch of mouths to feed up there. I think they were caught themselves in a position this year where they had 85 really good football players this offseason. So what, what did they need to do? What did they need to add? I think they were pretty happy, and you saw them this offseason. After January, guys, there was nothing left in that portal for Georgia to, Georgia to add and say, this guy brings us tremendous starting caliber value right now on our roster. There, there really wasn't much left for them because, you know, the Elias Ricks of the world were already gone. That was the only guy I saw this, this offseason in that portal where their philosophy is if he's coming, Darren Kendrick, he better start for us right now. He better be able to walk in and say, I'm a guy, I'm going to play all 14 games. Outside of Elias Ricks in that portal, what, what, what available was there of that caliber? I didn't see much this offseason. 
Well, a guy who Georgia did pick up in the transfer portal, Tyke Smith, before he got injured uh, prior to last season. I think he's maybe one of those names that's going to fill some voids uh, left in Georgia's defense. But if we're talking about guys that are already there, Brooks, let's start with that secondary. If you had to assume uh, when they roll out there against Bo Nix in Oregon, what's that five going to look like uh, back there in Georgia's secondary? Christopher Smith's obviously back. Keely Ringo's obviously back. But I think there's a lot of jobs up for grabs right now. Yeah, I think you're looking at Ringo and Lasseter, Kamari Lasseter. A lot of people, I mean, this spring he didn't play in this in G days because he had a concussion just a few days before. And so William Poole actually walked out in the corner and started with the first unit. I thought it was really, really interesting. That kind of tells you what they think of William Poole, a fifth-year guy for them now who's going to be a baller this year. He's going to start at star, and wherever he transgresses from there, it's going to be valuable. It might be he might They might find value in him at corner. They might find it even at safety. He's played them all during his time at Georgia, and he will play them all well if asked to do so this year. So I think kind of like your coverage ability starts and ends right there with William Poole. And then, of course, Ringo and Laster is the, the guys that I think are going to get the run at corner. Nylon Green may give Kamari Laster some run. That's a super talented, you know, borderline five-star caliber football player coming out of high school at Newton High School on the southeast side of Atlanta. That's a ball player. So they're going to battle it out over a corner. And then you're looking at safety, man. I think you got four guys rotating for two spots. Tyke Smith came in to play star. I don't know after a foot injury and a knee injury in about eight months, I don't know if that's going to stay because they asked star, their star position to do a lot of coverage stuff. And, you know, Tyke's more of an instinctual football player. So they played a lot of zone when he was an All-American at West Virginia. He's super, super instinctual. He will find the ball. I would imagine he plays some safety along with David Daniel and uh, Christopher Smith and Dan Jackson. All those guys will rotate in those two spots, man. Uh, Brooks, you mentioned uh, right there in the in the back. I mean, Georgia lost so much from their defense, but it seems like, as you said, there were guys just waiting to step in and fill holes. I mean, how many battles are up for grabs realistically when this thing, uh, you know, convenes uh, late July, first part of August? I mean, even with losing so much to the NFL, are most are most of these guys locked in uh, to their starting roles that are that are, I guess, just getting to do it for the first time. So the, the areas of concern for me defensively would be like right down the middle of the ball. Like you follow the middle of the ball down the middle of the field, talking both defensive tackle positions. I know you got Jalen Carter, but, hey, there's 70 snaps to play. And the best defensive tackles in college probably only play about 50 at one of those two spots. So somebody's got to fill a lot of snaps that were played by Devontae Wyatt and Jordan Davis. Obviously Zion Logue being the name there. Warren Brinson's got to step up as well. And then, of course, you don't have a single start on the roster, a single career start on the roster inside linebacker. Think about that. Now, Glenn Schumann's the best in the sport at developing inside backers, that no doubt about it. You play at Georgia, you play on Sundays. The last seven guys that have taken snaps with the starters at the inside linebacker position at Georgia play on Sunday right now. That is a fact. So they, they're going to be good. It might take two or three, four or five games before that really young and uh, an inexperienced group Flashes. Guys that the guys that nobody pay attention to, like Ryan Davis and Tresman Marshall, y'all are about to find out how good of football players those guys are. Because you're probably not watching it when they're getting on the field up thirty five to nothing in the midway through the second quarter against Vandy. But Tresman Marshall's jumping over people and running guys down fifty three and a half yards sideline to sideline. So really, really good football player there. And then we already talked about the safeties. They're gonna have to figure out Who's going to run the alley like Lewis Seen has the last two years? 16's been sticking in the alley. they got to find somebody there. Dan Jackson being the one. You watched 47 last year, he was a bullet. He was a missile every time he was coming downhill. Brooks, I want to flip it over to the offensive side of the ball real quick uh, and talk about the right tackle spot because 
Uh, Athlon put out their list of their predicted uh, all SEC first team. They had Broderick Warren McClendon, baby. Yeah, I'm talking Warren McClendon. They had Broderick Jones listed as an offensive lineman who started games for Georgia and played a lot in the national championship. But Warren McClendon, dude out of Brunswick, Georgia, a freshman All American, uh, and then Georgia wins the national championship the next year. I mean, he's come in, started at right tackle. Nobody's been able to push him out of the way. And then if you go back and watch that Michigan game, swallowed Aiden Hutchinson. Did he have some struggles against Will Anderson? Sure. Everybody's going to have struggles against Will Anderson, but I think I don't know that we're talking about how good of a football player Warren McClendon is. Chicken and vegetables, baby. <laughs> See, he is just clean cut. Like the tech is impeccable, but not a super great athlete, right? Like walking off the bus, you're like, hey, well, I mean, Warren McClendon's here, but who's that guy behind him? Oh, crap. That's Roger Jones and Amarius Mims, right? If you take him out and ran a 40, I bet he's like a 5'2'8 athlete. If you made him jump a, 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 a vertical, I bet he's like 33 inches. No, nothing A++ except for everything he does on the field. He's just, he's just chicken and vegetables, man. Like, you know what you're going to get. You don't have to worry about anything else, and he's clean. I, I personally have said this about Warren for probably into his, like, four starts into his career. I think he's an eight- to ten-year NFL guy. That guy's going to float around the league for so long and play such good football, and only NFL executives are going to know how daggum good the guy is because he's so boring. No offense. He's so boring. He's <laughs> offensive line. Nobody cares. He's offensive line, and he doesn't flash at it. He just gets the damn do- job done every rep. It's, it's, it's fun to watch, honestly, Christian. If you're, if you're an O-line guy, go, go watch some McClendon stuff, man. You'll, you'll learn. Like He's always clean with his tech. He's never in a bad spot. Okay, speaking of something like, like, so we're talking about something Georgia fans don't have to think about in 2022, right? Right tackle, you know what that's going to be. You don't have to worry about it. It's going to be solid. Something that Georgia fans, even after they watched it win a national championship, they're going to be worried about until this dude is done at Georgia. Quarterback position, Stetson Bennett. (laughs) What have been the biggest goals uh, from that staff this year for Stetson Bennett in the offseason? Because you win a national championship, you throw for almost 300 yards a game, in the semifinals, you're basically perfect at the quarterback position. You didn't have the boneheaded plays uh, that Kirby Smart had referenced or just like the the segments of games that were boneheaded. Is this something where Georgia fans, listen, get over it. 13 is going to be your starter for the whole year. And and what are they looking to see out of him? I mean, no different than any other starter. He's got to have like three or four really, really bad games where it's it's in jeopardy before we're pulling shoot on 13. So – Go ahead and settle in, yes, if that's what you're asking, because I don't think that's going to happen. I think 13 is a really, 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 really good college football player and will be drafted. People talk about him as if he's not going to. He's super talented. I don't think people realize that either. Like He, he cleans up a lot of mistakes that happened last year. You were not particularly good at guard. And early in the year, you were not particularly good at center because he was still figuring out what he was doing as a redshirt freshman being Cedric Van Pran. 13 fixed a whole lot of stuff that a lot of people don't see last year, spinning out of protections and just rolling to his left and just throwing a dart 35 yards across his body. Like, these things are not easy. Not everyone can do them. Not even everyone on the roster at the quarterback position that everyone tells me is so talented can do those some of the things that he does. So that's the first thing. Um, I, I think this summer and this offseason and even this spring game have been much more about 13 figuring out what he can and can't get away with. Because I personally believe, and I think he knows this too, and so does the, the organization, they're going to have to be slightly better than even they were last year on offense. And people don't realize they were a top seven, top eight offense last year in almost every category, including yards per attempt and yards per completion and yards per play um, and points per game. So 
he's going to have to risk it a little bit more while not turning the ball over next year. So that means he's going to have to fit balls into tighter windows. And I think if you watch the spring game over again, you'll see a lot of that. You'll see a lot of uh, Stetson Bennett forcing balls into coverage, just trying to see what he can get away with um, because that's what this offseason has been about. Yeah, Brooks Austin, uh, Dogs Daily on SI joining us. I guess it wouldn't be a uh, a Georgia talking point if I didn't ask you along the quarterback lines about give us your gut take on is there going to be a Manning wearing red and black at some point? You know, I'm I'm like a coin flip, and I know that I've been a coin flip forever, but I've also approached it this way. I, I Arch Manning to me is Kawhi Leonard, and here's what I mean by this. If anyone is on the radio or if anyone is anywhere telling you that they know where Arch is going or they know something about Arch Manning or they know something about Kawhi Leonard, where he's at, they're lying. Or they don't, they, they're, they're not telling you the full truth because it's an enigma, man. It's a moving target constantly, and I, I think the schools feel that way too. Every time I talk to somebody that I trust, that is involved in anywhere in any capacity with that program and that recruitment, their hands up too. They're like, ah, we feel kind of good, but I'd, how are you supposed to know, right? How are you supposed to know? Because it is the tightest, most locked-up recruitment in probably quarterback history. And honestly, they're dealing with a very, very same sentiment with Caleb Downs, the number one player in the state of Georgia, at the safety position as well. Super polished professionally approached with every aspect of the recruitment, and there's no heads or tails about nothing. You can't get a read on it, and that's by design. Um, because, again, these are, these are professional organizations at this point, even when they're just 17-, 18-year-old kids that we're talking about. Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI. Joining us here on 300. You got one more? I just want to say, happy, I just want to say happy Father's Day, man. <laughs> we might be a father or two before Sunday gets here, so we'll find out. <laughs> Austin. Hey, we D- just we just we just gotta get to Friday at like four o'clock, Riley. I don't know if you're listening to me right now, baby girl, but just get me there. We got a court detail seven on seven. We gotta work. Bro, she, you know she's listening. You know she's listening. Big fan of the show. Yeah. Big fan of the show. <laughs> Big fan of the show. <laughs> Brooks, we appreciate it, man. Thanks. Y'all be good. Brooks Austin, uh, Dogs Daily on SI.com. Joining us talking Georgia football. We'll come back with more. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you along here, three and out on this. Thursday, Braves will be back tomorrow, 105. So, 220, first pitch tomorrow. So, we will not be with you heading into the weekend. The Braves will be going for 15 in a row. So, we'll have that to look forward to as well. You got game six coming up tonight in the NBA Finals. Our good friend AC hopping here on the show. Got something to say about uh, the finals. AC, what's happening? Good afternoon. Thank you so much for taking my call. Hey, appreciate it, man. As always, what's up? Absolutely. Well, tonight I do believe that Celtics are going to win at home, and they're going to take their business this Sunday, seven. So I have the winning in a row. They're going to be crowned champion on Sunday. If they do not win the championship, I'm not going to call the station entire next. <laughs> you can't do that. You got you got to call in so we can figure out yeah. what went wrong. Did he, did he dump already? Is AC there? He's still here. Okay. So you got the Celtics winning the next two. Next two, if they fail to win the championship, I am not going to call the station next week only, Monday to Friday. So let's not get confused. Here. Okay. But I am entitled to. But I am entitled to call the show tomorrow. The station is on. No, no. I mean, well, I mean, the station will be on, but uh, we will not be on because uh, we'll have the Braves take us off. But I, I, we got you down, Celtics. 
Uh, win the next two. That means the T-shirts aren't going to waste with the empty banner on the back. So, uh, you know, we'll see. I, 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 are you a conspiracy theorist that's like it's going game seven regardless? Just be confident because I, I, I remember saying last week I had the Celtics winning in game It was in seven games, so I just have to stick with my predictions. I kind of just flip-flop all of a sudden like Stephen A. Smith. Well, <laughs> game one. I have such and such. You know what? Let me go with someone else in game two because I don't like my picks. That's not the way how I do business. My <laughs> predictions, man. As far as your Braves are concerned, guys, Spoiler going to collapse sooner or later. What, what, what do you mean by collapse? Like lose a game? Like they're not collapsing. I'm sorry. He, oh, he, di- he dipped. Yeah, he dipped. He, di- he just dropped that That's ball and left. Listen. You know it's collapsed. I, I listened. You know I listened close enough to get the the fast talk of AC. He's he's riding this Braves collapse. You know. You know what has collapsed? The Mets lead. Yeah. No, I mean, look, it's the Mets. It is what it is. I look, and and, and that's the thing is like I know New York radio hosts are going off and uh, saying, oh, everybody's worried about four games. The Mets are still winning. Look, it was ten and a half two weeks ago. Atlanta is such and, a unique sports town. Number one, did you see what they did on first take yesterday? I with Stephen A. Smith, I did not, and uh, uh, Mike the Mad Dog Russo, I did not. What they, they do? ranked their top sports towns? Okay, Mad Dog had Cleveland number one, but Atlanta catches such a bad rap based as on a, what? As a sports town, why is Cleveland number one? I, I I don't want to talk about that. That was just so asinine. But uh, Atlanta catches such a bad rap as a sports town, but also for whatever reason, New York and Los Angeles love to just try to eviscerate the Braves. I mean, Bill Plaschke in the World Series yeah. was like, listen, they're not even on the same and level how did that as go? the Dodgers. Yeah, exactly. The I, Met, I, I the, say, uh, the Knicks last yeah. year in the playoffs. Oh, easy. We got Julius Randle. Oh, oh I, I just I just find it very interesting that Mets fans are getting all up and, and excited. Our good buddy Matt. Who's a big New Listen, York fan? No, Kevin, who said? Who said? So, oh, oh, this is funny. Look at all the Braves fans. I said, and when was your last World Kevin, Series? Kevin, here's the thing. No, here's the thing. It was people back in the who, '80s. People by the way. who don't win anything get excited about regular season. But, but, stuff. but here's the thing about Mets fans. Like, you're a little brother, man. Like the, like I, I saw the Mets. You're like, hey, top two, uh, top two uh, records in Major League Baseball. It's the Mets and the Yankees, and the Yankees were still better than the Mets. Like, stop. Your little brother in your own town, like you, you are, like whatever you do, the Yankees do like a thousand percent better. And like also, Steve uh, Cohen, hey, I'm going to spend a whole bunch of money and improve my roster. Oh yeah, can you consider, have you seen what the Yankees do? Can like, you consider New York a better sports town if they don't have an NFL franchise? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the Braves don't play in Atlanta either. So. Shh. <laughs> At least they play in the same state. But that is true. That that's true. At least they play in the same state. Your Atlanta Braves from Birmingham, Alabama tonight. That's basically equivalent that, or like Chattanooga. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know that would be good. No, look, Mets fans, I love you. New look, Jersey Jets, I'm not, baby. I'm not listen. You wouldn't be saying what you're saying unless you're not feeling nervous. See the Braves coming. Look, that's all I'm gonna say. Their pitching is better, their offense is better, their bullpen is better. Come at me. I don't know. Their, I, pit, their pitch is better until is the it? Grom and Scherzer get back. But, I mean, but I'll say the Braves pitch peak? is better. I mean, if you would, if, if you line up, uh, 
Scherzer and Freed, are you feeling like that's a loss God, for the Braves? There's gotta, there has to be a scenario in which the Mets and the Braves play in the playoffs, right? I mean, but, but seriously. No, how awesome would that be? Scherzer v. Freed. Out, out, let's, let's roll. Scherzer v. Freed? I'm taking Scherzer. I mean, the Braves have really had a good time against Max. I know, but I mean, division rivals typically do that. I understand, but I don't think it's as big a disparity as, as people think it is. I mean. I just remember the uh, last year. Ian when he- Anderson or Tyler McGill. Yeah, I'll take Jacob DeGrom over all of them. Uh, that's not what I asked, though. Who, who would be – okay, who would that, match I, up with that, DeGrom? That's an interesting question are you, because, are you again, going, are Ian you, Anderson, if, you get, if he gets out of the first, yeah, he's great. It just <laughs> – it's hit or miss. I mean, the Braves have hit more home runs than the Mets. Do they have a better offense than New York? I would say the numbers bear out that they do. Yeah, Atlanta was sleepy. They were still had uh, the champagne hangover first month of the season. The now Met, they shook it off. Mets Snicker, are feeling it. That's all Snicker I'm saying. Snicker gave them a bunch of ibuprofen in that meeting. <laughs> said, shake off that hangover, boys. We got some games to win. And they've won 14 of them. I'm still disappointed, though, because Snit hasn't brought back the stash. Even with Top Gun coming back, he still hasn't brought back the stash. I think it's fierce. Maybe for October, and he can say, hey, for Halloween, I'm going as uh, Miles Teller. I'm going as, or he goes himself. <laughs> Snickers' so, mustache so, wipes the floor with Miles Teller's mustache. And everybody's freaking out about Miles Teller. Brian Snickers' mustache. Actually, Spencer Strider's is, is better that than everybody's. That thing's solid, too. That's some tombstone. And apparently there's like uh, uh, ba- ba- people are bringing their babies to the park now and slapping like Spencer Strider's stash. Slapping babies? Oh, okay. No, no, not slapping. <laughs> but they're putting like there was a baby at the yard last night in uh, in Washington, D.C., and they had the Braves outfit on, and they gave the baby the Spencer Strider I mustache. Get behind I, it. I, I mean, I think that's a pretty good, pretty good deal. Dude's got a chooch throwing up 100 mile an hour. <laughs> I'm not stepping in against him. That's all I'll say. We got more to come here. It's three and out. It's U.S. Open. It's officially underway. We'll get to that. And more Gurav Vidak. Uh, battery power. We'll talk some Braves baseball with him coming up in hour number two. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on three and out. The U.S. Open. Round number one going on this week, uh, Christian. Around yeah, today. It's obviously all going this week. But it's today. And through all of the controversy off the course, Roy McElroy tied for the lead right now at uh, three under. Brian Harmon, Savannah Native, two under, one shot off the pace. So just some of the uh, the early scores there at the country club. You don't want to talk about Callum Terran or David Lingelmurth? Well, I didn't know how many people knew those guys. I mean, have you ever heard of uh, uh, Lingmurth? Lingmurth? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's my you, guy. Uh, yeah, 100%. Love that guy. You had him in the pool. Love that guy. It wasn't like, hey, I got to pick one more guy. He's all hey, that's left. We also have an amateur, which is what I do love about the U.S. Open. Uh, Austin Greaser. Two yep. under. Still playing. Just one back. Uh, still playing on the front. Morikawa's there at minus one. Uh, John Rahm at minus one. So, to me, very interesting. Where's our live boys at? Well, that's what I was going to say. Very interesting. Phil's like plus two, I think. Plus two, plus three. Well, Phil, I don't think was ever going to be in contention. But I think the reality is, and PJ and I have talked about this a lot, you don't have any of the top 14 players in the world on the live tour. I understand. So if someone was looking at this weekend like, oh, no, one of these live golfers is going to go out there and prove something. Uh, I think if one of them could, could, could land in the top 10, I mean, that would be a story. That would be noteworthy. Uh, noteworthy, but like at the very bottom. A very, oh, a very bottom. Yeah. I mean, it's a major. I get it. I I understand. Well, it's not just a major. And I yeah. think this is kind of what Brooks Kepko was trying to get to. It's not just a major. It's the Do you US, think Brooks is going to go, though? It's the U.S. Open. Yeah. I, uh, 
I think for the most part, the guys that we have seen go are guys who realize they're not at the top of the game anymore, and it's going to be harder and harder for them to earn money. But and Brooks so has said he well just cares about the majors, right? Get the good things. Well, yeah, and we you don't know if they're going to continue to allow them to play anymore. So You said you thought they might let them do it. I know it's quickly, yeah. but you, like, you think at the end of the day the majors are going to let them yeah, play. Yeah, I don't think the majors have the love for the PGA to where everybody thinks they do. So if that happens... Maybe maybe some other people's minds get changed moving forward. We'll talk more maybe. about that uh, later on in the show. We got take three coming up uh, next hour. Also, uh, Gaurav Vidak going to talk some Braves baseball with us as well. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network, streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. Welcome back. Hour two of three and out. Kevin Thomas, he is Christian Gokel filling in for uh, for Ben Troop here on three and out. We'll hear from Gaurav Vidak, uh, battery power covering the Braves they're on SB Nation. This Braves team is hot. I would say they're hotter than outside, but I don't, know that's, I don't know that's hey possible. Yo. I don't know if that's possible, uh, quite frankly. Yeah. You ready? Let's take no, – I'll ready. give you another – okay. You said the Braves were hot, and I was like, I agree. I didn't yeah. know where we were going with this. They're not as hot as it is outside, though. That's sweltering. I don't know. Have you seen Dansby? <laughs> we'll take three. On that note, Gaurav will join us in about 15 minutes. All right, take one. Christian, the Saints, did you see this today? They've unveiled a, a black helmet. I know Falcons fans don't, like, get along with Saints fans, but, like, why? Why, why, why okay. would you do that? So, I, with TJ on this, I don't inherently hate the black helmet idea. Right? It's part of your color scheme. It's not like you're, like, reaching outside of your color scheme to do something, right? You're black, gold, and white. Right. That's, that's what you wear. Don't hate it. It's basically just a reverse of their other right. one, right? Uh, it's still the gold logo on a black background. Right. But then the middle is where it gets weird. If it had just been a complete reversal of their typical helmet and they had put a gold stripe down the middle, fine. But for whatever reason, they've decided to put some kind of like star pattern. I, I can already see how this is setting up. They're going to wear, they said they only wear it for a select game. One of those games is going to be against the Falcons. You already know this. Probably. Right? I just don't understand why teams like the Saints, like, why, why don't you just stick with what's cool? Like, your, your helmet is nice the way it is. Like, Tampa Bay went to some pewter or something or other. I, I get you want to get away from the creamsicle, whatever. Well, no, but Tampa but like, Bay has done the correct, and they've gone, Tampa Bay's gone back to their best yeah. uniforms. But when you're the Saints, you're known by the gold helmet with the Fleur de Lis on it. Yeah. Why change it? Up? And so like, and literally, it's just a Florida Lee stripe going back, but it's just a bunch of small Florida Lees going back. <laughs> it's bad. And it's just, there's so many different organizations that have already gotten it right. And it's just like, people feel like they have to put their fingerprints on it and change it up. Right. But I think yeah. more and more, we're seeing people realize this. Right. So uh, you're you trying see, too hard. Right. You see the Buccaneers, they go back to what I consider to be their best uniforms, the Derrick Brooks <laughs> era uniforms for the Bucks. It's hard to do a lot right with that color scheme, but that that uniform scheme looks good, right? You see... The cream stick one was not good. That's right, way uh, before Derek Brooks. You see teams like Georgia. They had these weird bubble letters that they decided they wanted to do in the mid-2010s. Bring those guys up. Get rid of them. Going back to the block numbers. Right? Yeah. So it's slowly turning around. And I think even the Falcons... I'm praying for them. I think even the Falcons are starting to realize it a little bit like, hey... The red is good. 90s, or I don't even care about red. Like 90s to early 2000s era. So Dion to Michael Vick, you had the perfect uniform. 
Now you're overthinking it a little now bit too you're, much. Now you're 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 trying to throw ATL on there, and we're like, <laughs> we. The only thing better would be if they put hot Lanta across. I, you're not. Li- you're, you, you say a joke when you leave, but you're not wrong. <laughs> and it's just so ATL, right? Right? Yeah. We're hip. Like no. <laughs> no. Hot Lanta. And honest to God, I know people didn't like them, but I think the Falcons' previous uniforms were better than whatever the hell these I are. I like the Reds. Red helmets do it. But, no, but red helmets, if you want to do black 90s helmets, yeah, fine with that's that fine. too. You already had the perfect uniform. Just go back to it. The Saints, you have your uniform really hasn't changed. And it's no. great. It's a great uniform. Gold and black. It's hard to mess that up. You're doing your dance. Yeah, don't tr- don't try too hard with with the uniforms at the end of the day. I agree. I just saw that and I was like, why? Why, why, why are you doing this? Yeah. All right, moving along. Take two. Which young brave do you love more long-term? Michael Harris or Spencer Strider? Oh, Michael Harris. I mean, Spencer Strider's got a lot of upside. Yeah, but, I mean, if you're talking about, like, adoration from a fan base, you got to be really good as a pitcher. Because Michael Harris is going to be out there. I, yeah, I get it. And he's fast, fast. And he's from Stockbridge. I mean, I could see Spencer Strider being a guy that could be a John Smoltz-esque type dude. I mean, the dude. Where it's I, like I, you could save games, you could win games, you could start games, you might do it all while you're in Atlanta Brave. I've, I've said it. Dude's got a chooch. Like, he's got <laughs> a cannon for an arm. Yeah. Right? And it's not very often you can paint with 100. And he can do that. But Michael Harris is an everyday player for the Braves for the next 10 years, in my opinion. And so now you have your outfield, at least two of them locked up with Acuna and Michael Harris. That's nice. That's uh, a <laughs> any fly ball. Good luck. Yeah, uh, look, I, I agree. I think I threw Strider in there because I do think like the Braves have a guy that th- I'm trying to think of the last guy that came up, that they had that stuck that was legit 100. I mean, you've had some guys that could throw that hard, but they couldn't Bolte, throw maybe? they couldn't throw strikes. Yeah, uh, this is a guy that can throw 100 and, and can dot it. You know, and I, they haven't had a guy like that. You see that with other clubs, guys that come out there and you know drop a hundo on you. The only thing that scares me with him is it's not easy. Like. Oh no, Jacob Degrom. Yeah, but his legs are like the size of my neck. Yeah, no. I mean, it's huge. Maybe even bigger. No, I say bigger, a lot bigger. I don't know how big you think your neck is, but uh, that's a weird body part to compare it to. Uh, Thick. Yeah, no, dude's <laughs> Quadzilla, right? Yeah. But it's not. It doesn't look easy. I guess is what worries me about it. Like he looks more like a bullpen guy when he's right. throwing a hundred, right? He's like, I only got thirty pitches, and they're gonna touch a hundred every time. Whereas guys who throw easy hundred like Degrom or Hunter Green with the Reds, they're just kind of they're just throwing it up there, and you're like, holy crap, that was 101 <laughs> miles an hour. My favorite tweet from last year was from when Degrom was like in single A, might have been low A, yeah. where he was doing just a, a spot start, and the yeah. Twitter account for that team that he was playing against was like Jacob Degrom's throwing 102 miles an hour. Send help. Yeah, like it's just come on, like, man. What do you want us to do? We're trying to learn how to play the game. This dude is. Out here embarrassing us. No, I, I agree, but I mean, I, I think Strider has a lot of upside. And again, who's to say he sticks in the rotation yeah, and doesn't, I mean, and doesn't he, become a... Does he even become your favorite player in the rotation? I mean, a lot of people got some love for Matt Freed. Ian Anderson's that guy. Kyle Wright's once, a nice story. Kyle Wright's been great once uh, Soroka gets back. A lot of good young arms uh, in, that Braves, uh, in that Braves rotation. All right. Uh, take three, Christian. This is a personal preference because I've seen it. The Braves are going to play Chicago, so this is what made me yeah. think of it. Do you like position players pitching? I mean, the Cubs are doing it like on an every-other-day basis. Or I say pitching or lobbing it. Like One of the Cubs gave up a homer the other day. His pitch was 42 miles an hour, and it just got yacked yeah, like a slow-pitch uh, softball. Yankees, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, but they but they actually said guys because we're seeing position players pitch more. That throwing slower, we're actually the guys are making out because everybody's going up there trying to home run derby the ball and it's, and they're not doing. It. So yeah, you're I'm getting kinda, out. I'm kind of over it. I mean, I like it, but I like it when it's like Charlie Culberson, like he's coming in there. It's like I'm gonna pump eighty because yeah. that's what I got. Well, instead of guys are like, well, we're getting beat, and it seems like the Cubs are like, hey, we're down six runs, let's just call it, and they're throwing guys out there and just lobbing balls up there. Where like, I, I where I like it is. You're at the end of your bullpen. Sure. And you gotta throw because you're going to, you're, it's the 18th inning, right? Not, we're getting beat 14 to 3 and we're just giving up. Well, I've seen the, like, the Cubs were up like, or losing by like five or six runs the other day and they were pitching yeah, I mean, I'm, a I'm position kinda, player guy. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, I'm kind of over it. Like, if you're quitting on games where you're down five, six runs, that you should probably fire your manager. Uh, and One, because you can't manage your yeah, bullpen. And two, yeah, love David Ross, but I mean, could you not? If, if your bullpen's that bad, is this not an? I understand arbitration and all that, but like, is this not an opportunity to like bring some dudes up and see what they got? Yeah, like put them in the bullpen. Hey, we're down seven, eight runs. Let's let's go out there and see what you got. No, it, it's funnier if we, we let a position. It really, get I mean, but to me, it seems like that's the strategy of baseball, where it's it's the what do they call it in the in the NBA load management. Where it's like, ah, we just don't want to use up our bullpen. We'll save it for another right, day. And so we're just going to throw some rando out there and say, don't hurt yourself. Just lob it up there and we'll, we'll, we'll take it for what it is. But how many can you afford to do that if you're the I, Chicago Cubs? And I don't know. You're struggling. But they've done it a couple times, times in the last week. How many times have you seen teams come back and you're just giving up? Like, that's what you're signaling to your team. True. I don't up. like position guys pitching unless it's one of those where it's like, look, it, this is just embarrassing. No, and I, it's, I don't it's, even love it's, it there. I think even like if it's if you're down thirteen to two, we've seen teams come back. Sure, right. I only time I think it's okay, and this is just my me being a moral arbiter is if you're out of bullpen. There, there literally is and nobody. You're, left. you're not going to throw your starters. I think if you're going to do it though, let guys like actually throw. Because that's the thing. It's like, hey. So I'll let you absolutely rip a ball. Well, I, I understand the, pitching's a little different. I wonder if like, that's a strategy, though, is like, hey, if I let you actually try to throw a fastball, you might be able to touch, like, mid-80s, but it's going to be a, a BP fastball, yeah. and they're going to launch those. Or maybe, mean, maybe it's just harder to hit the EPIS. <laughs> Probably. But get, uh, give a professional hitter two or three of those, and I'm sure they'll be like, okay. Yeah, it's like slow-pitch softball. <laughs> those things are cannon shots. <laughs> like, is there, is there a harder job? If you're gonna world. do it, do it like Anthony Rizzo. Yeah, go up there and strike a guy out and throw, throw some, some, sliders, throw some, some junk. Up. Yeah, throw some junk up there. But then, uh, is there a harder job than being the slow pitch softball guy in like adult league softball with a guy up there with the absolute like trampoline cannon in his hand, and you're like, wee? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hope you catch it clean, buddy. Because if not, it's coming. Like if you're the pitcher and you have to wear shin guards, that's a problem. Like, <laughs> I've seen all those, in, I've seen all those Instagram reels of those hyper aggressive dudes playing yeah. slow pitch softball, just launching nukes. <laughs> it's horrifying. <laughs> those those bats should be illegal. Yeah, like those guys should be playing with like sticks they found no, on the side I, of the road. I, I watch the ones where these guys go out there and listen. Respect to all my love to all my my, my slow pitch softball players out there. Anybody's being active, I got love. No, for it. no, that's but, not being active. But. When you're taking like the the computer out there to measure how hard you're hitting, and you're like, man, I'm hitting as hard as Aaron Judge. You might want to take a look at your bat. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't call playing adult league softball being active. 
I'm sorry, it's not. No, I'm not gonna. I'm no, not no, gonna no. Listen, listen. No, I'm not being hating. active. They're not being active. They are. They're, You're they're not, not listening at home. So if I'm so if I'm standing in the backyard, as long as I'm standing up outside, I'm being active. Yes. That's beats the hell out of what most people do. If I'm holding the holding the Bud Light and the in the garden hose, would you I'm consider, being active. Would you consider you going out and coaching your kids little league baseball teams being active? Depends on how much I walk around. I would, I would say every time you go out there, you are being active. But listen, Kevin, adult league have... softball. No, here's why I say this: adult league softball, you throw the pitch, it's yeeted into the next county, and you don't even run to first base. No, You're like, Kevin, somebody go of, pick that up. I'm being the dugout. A lot of them have rules where home runs are out. Uh, not a lot of videos I'm watching. You can only get like typically you can only hit three home runs. But you don't run when you hit a homer. It's like ah, that's good. Well, that's that's good. You gotta at least trot around. See, Listen, that's why I say you're not take active. Take the stairs. You're being active. Play some softball. You're being active. I don't have any hate for it. I don't like league softball or walking up and down the stairs three times. More exercise. Um, how <laughs> big is the person that we're talking? About? <laughs> With some of the adult league, so it's like you you hit a home run and it's like you just walk back to the dugout and be like, go pick that up. Yeah, you have, you have not seen this? No, I've seen it. I just it's sad, but at the same time, <laughs> I'm not. I, it's better than sitting at home and sitting on the couch. I got you. I, I okay, that I'll agree with. I don't, but I'm saying like, I don't know if me like standing over the uh, the azalea bed with a hose is me being quote active. Like, hey, make sure. Make sure they got their you, water today. You got some azaleas? <laughs> I did. They probably burnt to death in this heat. <laughs> That's take three. True. We'll come back. We're talking Braves baseball. Garav Vidak joins us here. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We're also streaming live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Check out our YouTube channel, ESPN Coastal on YouTube. Good to have you back here. Three and out on this Thursday. Kevin Thomas, he is Christian Gokel filling in for... Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. Braves off tonight. They've won 14 in a row. And joining us here, I told him we'd bring him back on after his bold prediction on Michael Harris last time for Battery Power on SB Nation. Gorov Vidak joins us here on 3 Now. Gorov seems like uh, that Michael Harris guy is working out all right. Got to say, I'm pretty proud of the prediction. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me talk about that, how he's come up. I, I, again, because you've had... It is very well could have gone the Christian Pache route, right? I mean, it, it, it's a guy that plays great defense, has some positive showing uh, on the offensive side, but had only played, what, a handful of games at the double-A level. Hadn't played a whole lot above single-A. I mean, it very well could have been Christian Pache 2.0 here in the first couple of weeks for him. Uh, absolutely. And honestly, that would have been okay. You're talking about a 21-year-old trying to make it into the majors, and like you said, just a small sample in double-A, no triple-A experience. But the, the, the big biggest difference between Michael and Christian is that at an even younger age, Michael showed a propensity to hit a changeup, and that's something, you know, Pache just never really did. He was more of a, of a dead fastball hitter, and even then, you know, he had troubles with his mechanics and his swings. Michael coming in straight away stopped hitting right-handed. He, was, he, he set his heart and desire on being a, a pure left-handed hitter, and he showed his ability to hit changeups, to hit a breaking ball, even when he was, like, the first year he got uh, uh, drafted. So that alone definitely had him higher up on my list than Pache. But, again, even if he started off his career that way, that totally would have been fine with the level of defense he's been playing. You mentioned the defense right there, and obviously everyone's looking at what he's doing at the plate, right? A couple of home runs, 
Uh, it's had some big-time doubles as well. Uh, hit the triple uh, that everyone was freaking out about on social media just because you got to see how fast he is. But defensively, what did he allow Brian Snicker to do when he came in and just locked down center field? Man, to be able to just put down Michael Harris and center field for the rest of the season has got to be just a huge relief for Brian. Don't have to worry about left field defense, really, because then you can move Duvall over to left. And you go from one of the worst outfield defenses to, frankly, one of the best. You have someone in Duvall that performed admirably in center. You have Michael providing gold glove, uh, gold glove defense. And then Acuna and Wright, we know what he can do uh, out in the field. He's also a plus defender. So with the insertion of Michael Harris, it pretty much changed the entire outcome or the entire structure of the, out, of the outfield defense. It's, it's something that really couldn't have come at a sooner time. And it's, I would say it's one of the main reasons why the Braves have been able to go on this winning streak. When you don't have to worry about a ball hit up the hit up the middle between Dansby and and uh, and Michael, I'm sure it only helps the pitchers. Gaurav Vidak joining us here on Three and Out. And Gaurav, obviously Michael Harris has been a big plus. They lose though, Ozzy for for 60 days, and Arcia through two days has looked obviously really really good. What's the long term 60 day projection on how they absorb the loss of Ozzy Albies? It's, it's got to be, first of all, I'm sure they're going to try and keep it internal as long as possible, and that's going to be a, a, a little matchup play between Orlando and then the recently promoted Phil Gosselin. Uh, Gosselin's been playing really well in, in AAA Gwinnett. Uh, will he be an Aussie? Absolutely not, but you're just looking for someone to plug in there and, and, and kind of put, put in league average defense, uh, offense. And, you know, between Phil and Orlando, I think that's definitely something that can be done. Orlando will have those random games where, like like last night, where he'll go four for four, and you'll think, the, you know, you think you got someone locked up. But, you know, based on his, on his career, he's someone that's kind of, you know, one step below Ozzy. So I think between Ozzy, or sorry, but between um, Orlando and Phil, you have a capable duo of matching the production of Ozzy. If they don't, it could be interesting if the Braves want to go another route and get another and possibly trade for a second baseman, but it's not something I really see them doing. So I think if you told anybody before the season started, right, on June 16th, the Braves would be 37-27. and 27. I think most people would be like, all right, yeah, that makes sense, right? Defending World Series champs, uh, maybe ran into a tough part uh, of an early schedule and then got things going. I don't think anybody would have predicted that it would have happened this way, but if you look at the expanded schedule, right, Braves expected win-loss right now exactly matches up with where they're at right now uh, in reality, whereas the team that they're chasing is, I guess, exceeding expectations in their expected win-loss. So do you think this is just the Braves kind of coming back to the median right here uh, with this win series where they probably shouldn't have been struggling as much as they were at the beginning? And obviously this isn't sustainable, but it's just it's baseball, right? It's going to average out eventually. I, I absolutely could not agree with that more. The Braves, you know, coming in for this 14-game 14, uh, 14 winning streak, you knew that that wasn't the Braves. You knew the caliber of players uh, that were throughout this lineup. You knew Adam Duvall wasn't a sub-500 OPS player. Like, is he going to be an all-star? No, probably not. But he's a much better than a 500 OPS player. So, like you said, I, I, I very much believe this is just regression to the mean. This is something all, not expected. No one expects a 14-game winning streak. No matter the competition, you're not supposed to beat 14 teams in a row regardless. Like, that's just the, the streak itself is absurd. But I think you are seeing some regression, and then you're going to see it with the Mets too. 
they have they have injuries to their starting uh, pitching staff. You know, they're not expecting Degrom and Scherzer back until after the All Star break, and even then, you don't know how they're going to respond, especially Degrom, who's got injury uh, injury issues uh, throughout his career. And then that Mets lineup has really gotten by with a lot of. They have the hardest. They have one of the hardest hit uh, hard hit rates, but when you look at the way that they've been producing, it's been a lot of extended rallies. So it's a bit of luck on their side uh, that's helped them get off to this super fast start. But that doesn't mean that they don't have a really good roster. They they still have a really good lineup, but if you put it on paper, I, I really do believe that the Braves are the better team. Goran Vidak joining us here on Three and Out, and obviously you hear that from all the Mets fans. Oh, beating up on all the. Uh... All the bad teams. Well, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, but how do you think this carries over this streak if it comes to an end this weekend in Chicago? How do you think this carries over when you do come back kind of into that zone of high-quality baseball teams with San Francisco and, of course, the Dodgers uh, all coming up next week? Do they, they they keep some of those traits going and not fall back into that, uh, well, we're going to be about a you know 48% win kind of baseball team against some of these good teams? A hundred percent. I think right afterwards, you're, you're not going to see like a 30-game winning streak or anything like that. But the, the biggest thing to really point out is the Braves aren't just barely winning these games. Right now, they're putting up serious numbers while limiting their opponents to very small amounts of runs. So you expect this kind of carryover to continue. This is the level that they're capable of doing. Now, you know, when you play, when you play the Padres, when you play the Dodgers, you're going to have, you know, someone you know the Dodgers lineup is just silly one through nine so it's going to have they're going to end up scoring runs against this Braves uh starting staff and and bullpen but you still expect the talent is there and this is something I really I know I, I preached a lot last year during the during the slow start but like the talent is there it should win out over time and again like this is what they're capable of doing. They're capable of a really deep lineup one through nine that's able to put together quality up bats able to run up the pitch count like it's a team built for success and a team built to win so while the winning streak may end i still expect them to play high high caliber baseball what did brian snicker say in that meeting we, we oh. need we need somebody to tell us and we know you got the inside scoop what did, what did snicker say <laughs> if, if i knew meeting? i would i would start each day with myself telling myself what he said because <laughs> i have no clue whatever he said he needs to bottle it up and make sure he busts it out whenever he needs Gorov Freddy comes to town next week. I know fans were mad, uh, maybe upset at the, some would say, crocodile tears when he left for more money in Los Angeles. It's been, obviously, five, six months uh, since that happened. How do you think he gets received uh, once uh, the Dodgers roll into town end of next week? I, I pretty much expect a standing, uh, kind of a standing ovation every single time he comes to play. Uh, he did fulfill the one dream that every single fan has, and he brought his city a title. Uh, what happens afterwards, you know, that's just that's, that's the way baseball works. Your favorite, your favorite players go to other teams. They make more money. That's just that's how, that's life. Um, but I, I really do expect a, like a, just a raving ovation for Freeman, and he dedicated a lot of his time to the organization. He went through a lot of really, really bad Braves teams and, and still produced well. So what he did, honor the city will never be forgotten and I, I really do hope that uh, fans are really nice to him. I know you caught a lot of flack for comparing Riles to uh, to Freddie Freeman defensively uh, there on the Twitter sphere. You were just saying, hey look, I'm making a comparison, but he is the uh, he is kind of the, the benchmark standard brave like of the past 20 years or so. 
Exactly. And, and when I, that's, that's great that you brought that up. What I, what I meant by saying that is it's giving people a reference to kind of show the quality of play that Austin Riley has right now. When you're able to surpass Freeman and, and, and war over a season, Freeman has been a top 20 player for the past like eight years. So when you're able to stay one of your young players without performing a player like Freeman, it only means positive things for that player. It has absolutely no disrespect to Freeman whatsoever. The added job about third base was just me having fun about Matt Adams. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you almost forget that Freddie played uh, third base in that uh, you know abomination of a couple of weeks there uh, several years ago. Gaurav, always a pleasure, my friend. We'll talk soon. Thanks much. Thank you so much. Gaurav Vidak, Battery Power, SB Nation joining us, talking some, uh, some Braves baseball and even reliving the Freddie Freeman third base days there at the end. That was the dark days. Austin Riley, better third baseman than Freddie Freeman. Well, uh, we, we say that about <laughs> Austin Riley, though. No, he I, is I'm, awesome. He's awesome. Well, but it's not long ago, actually beginning of last year, where we're talking about well, sure. Josh Donaldson's gone. What's he going to get traded? What are the Braves going to do at third base? This Austin Riley kid, he's been okay sometimes, but for the most part can't hit a curveball, right? He, he, he struggles sometimes defensively. Is he the answer, right? It's, Braves been searching since Chipper for that third baseman. Who's it going uh, to be? And then now look at it, and it's like, yeah, Australia's he's just that guy. I, I mean, I I thought that talk was a little crazy. I had a chance to watch him play a couple of times uh, down at, uh, at at Mississippi when he was there, and I saw flashes of the glove. Flash, and, I, and so when people were like, he he's not going to cut it defensively, I'm like, I, I don't. I don't know what you guys are, are, are talking about. Like, give it some time. I think he settled in. And, again, you're a third baseman. You're a power hitter. You're filling – you got shoved into the outfield when Josh Donaldson showed up. But at the end of the day, the the last big benchmark over there was a dude named Chipper Jones. Sure. So, there's a high ceiling to, uh, to, to, to live up to over there. I thought he's handled it well. He's on pace for, like, 46 homers. Here in uh, in well, twenty, but, no, but but you're right. Like a month and a half in, everybody's like, "What can you get for Austin Riley? It ain't gonna work." Yeah, and I was like, "You guys got to calm down." Like I I, I thought it was gonna be one of those where he would come well, around, and you I, didn't want to give like up on somebody Snicker, too early, though, right? Yeah. Is uh, everyone saying the same thing about Johan Camargo, right? Where he was one of those third well, base no, guys. No, I mean I looked no, no, at his no, stats. No, I'm not, and, I'm yeah. not saying that he's gonna be the long term guy. I'm saying everyone's like, "You got the best you could out of Johan. Oh yeah, you gotta let him go and get what you can for yeah, him, right?" But Snitker sometimes to a fault is extremely sure. loyal and wants to get the most that he can out of a player. So sometimes does that mean you're not going to get the biggest return in value for a trade? Yes. Does that sometimes mean you're not going to pull an Elvis yeah. Andrews and train and trade a guy who could potentially be an all-star starter for you for a long time? Yeah. So I'll take missing on trading guys for value versus missing on trading away a guy that's going to turn into a superstar. Yeah. I always thought Camargo was a trade at peak value guy. Uh, I'm because, saying you yeah. can't have both. No, I know. I, I, I just looked at it as I, I thought Austin Riley had way too much upside to give up on him. Like, I think Christian Pache had a lot of upside defensively, but you let him flounder around there a lot and said, I, I mean, I just don't know if he's going to hit at the major league level. You trade him away, and he's playing good defense and can't hit. I mean, that's basically what's happening out in, in Oakland with him. So I, I didn't understand, though, the Austin Riley, if you'd seen him play, big kid could really hit the ball hard. That's That's one of those, like, let him figure it out. Kind of what you would say about Michael Harris. If he goes yep. through one of these struggles, I, I was, I'm was i a proponent of, like, he's not going back down. Don't send him back down. I think Let, that messes with somebody more than anything. Yeah. yeah, he's here. He plays great defense. Let him figure it out. If he if he goes through a prolonged struggle at, at the plate, 
Let him figure it out. He'll be better for it in the long run. And, I, you know, I think the Braves have that all over the diamond, and it's fun to watch. We've got so much to get to. We'll come back. It's three and out on this Thursday. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio, streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out. I'm Kevin Thomas. He is Christian Gokel filling in for Ben Troop this afternoon and wanted to talk some uh, some football with some Christian foosball? on the show. He is a, yeah, some foosball. We got a lot of with our friends. foosball talk in the final hour, I, I think. But uh, no, we got the Falcons mini camp just ended. Obviously, the next big item on the checklist is training camp coming up end of July, preseason. I know you're a Falcons guy, so my question to you is, do you believe in Arthur Smith? I know it's still early, but do you believe he's a guy that is, I mean, on one hand, he won seven games, and that was a, as you like to say, that roster was tough. I will that, was, say, that was hard to win with. I will say this about Arthur Smith. I think there's like maybe one black eye right now on this current regime, and it was the Deshaun Watson pursuit. Right. Or reported pursuit. Because... Right. I think it might be a couple of black eyes, or maybe it's just like one really bad black eye where yeah. you have punched in the same eye a couple of times. <laughs> Number one, the obvious one is from all reports out there and the lawsuits, Sean Watson yeah. doesn't seem like an overly great dude. And that might be being nice. Unless you take his word for it. Yes, but. Which, you know, obviously. I think we're up to 26. Y- yeah. Now. It's one thing if it's one, one yeah. is another thing if it's like. Hey, I, I promise I wasn't inappropriate 27 times. Yeah, so <laughs> I mean, so on one side, yeah, it seemed like you were willing to overlook that to go after a good quarterback. Sure. The other black guy you got is it ended the tenure of Matt Ryan in Atlanta. And so then you had to trade him for a third-round pick and send him like to a better home <laughs> to finish out his you're, tenure. You're so, yeah, exactly. So that, <laughs> I would say, that, that couple weeks – is the only bad I've really seen. And again, I don't know who or what, where the pressure was coming for to go after Deshaun Watson, but right. it was there. And my other thought is thank, it was thank, Arthur Blank, maybe. Thank God you didn't get him because sure. you would have bankrupted your salary cap yeah. and Utter disaster you still right would have been terrible. Yeah. Because, yeah, you got Deshaun Watson, but who's he throwing to? So you still would have been terrible. Let Cleveland deal with that mess that they're currently dealing with right now. They're a pariah in the and NFL. He, he may not even play. Yeah. So let them deal with that. Uh, but in terms of on the field, right, you won seven football games last year. With a bad roster. With a very bad roster. Uh, Russell Gage was probably your best receiving threat because Calvin Ridley, that situation happened. Kyle Pitts was still developing. And it might still be the case, but Cordero Patterson's like your best offensive weapon. He's your Debo Samuel light. Yeah. Right. Where he's so, listed as your starting running back right, right now. And so and I know you put on the rundown like, hey, Derrick Henry's not walking through that door. So I understand that point. And Derrick Henry will make a lot of offensive coordinators look good. But when Arthur Smith was the offensive coordinator, they were playing in a game away from the Super Bowl. Sure. Since he hasn't been there, and again, it's a one-year sample size. Right. That was not the same case. They could hardly score 13 points against the Bengals. Right? So I, I think he is a really good football coach. And the other thing I like about him is Atlanta, for whatever reason, has a propensity. I'm not saying the Falcons. I'm saying like Atlanta has a propensity for hiring coach bros. <laughs> where they have a lot of lingos where like the Falcons is in brotherhood and all yeah. that. And then you got the guy right down the street. That's 404, the culture. So, like, so not a Dan Quinn guy. I no. Think. And so it's like right before last season uh, in OTAs, you have Arthur Smith there and he's saying, he's like, just like yelling at him. He's like, Hey, congrats. You got, you got three bleeping yards. Get back in the huddle. And I was like, Oh, 
Yeah. I haven't seen that in a decade. Probably more because Mike Smith wasn't even that kind of coach. And I was like, so yeah. I, I think he's a really good football mind. And I think he's kind of what this team needs. I've said it before, and I'll continue to say it until it's not true. The Falcons are one of the softest teams in the NFL. Obviously, it's all relative. Any of those defensive linemen could whip my tail right, yeah. this way to Sunday, right? Sure. But in terms of the NFL, no one's ever played the Falcons and been like, the next week, like, oh. Yeah, you're man. not lining up against the Steelers or, or Ravens. Or when you're looking at the schedule beforehand, you're like, oh, damn, we got to play the Falcons. Everyone's <laughs> like, oh, I got to play the Falcons. It's like, even with Matt Ryan at their peak, you're not feeling beat up after that game. Right. I, I think they're building something, and I think it's they're trying to start at the line of scrimmage and build their way out from there. And it, again, not a big enough sample size, but I still believe Arthur Smith's a good coach. I I think this is a big year for him in the NFL. I don't think it's like, hey, you're, if you nobody expects them to. Not you know, with this roster. No, no, nobody expects him to win 12 games. I, I, I think it's a situation, if you can get to six wins again, You've done an absolutely good coaching job. What I'm looking for out of Arthur Smith here in year two is I want to see some of the guys that are, quote, your guys show up and perform. Because say what you want, Kyle Pitts, great at catching the football, one touchdown. And Ben and I talk about this on the show, yards are good, touchdowns what it's all about, putting points on the board. He was no doubt a solid performer as a rookie. Who else came in last year that was your guy in a draft and really played well? Richie Grant was your second-round pick, didn't play yeah. a whole lot. Yeah. So, I mean, you haven't but Marlon Davidson didn't play a whole lot. Well, Marlon Davidson was hurt. <clears throat> I understand. Reports but, are saying he's... So this year, obviously there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on your draft picks. And free agency is what it is, but they're guys that you at least wanted. Uh, you know, Lorenzo Carter. So like, you brought them in. How do they help your ball club win? Where's the step forward in the process? Like, can you... Can you win three games and not look incompetent? I, I don't out there even know the, that this season <laughs> is where the bar even starts. I understand that, but I, 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 I want to see some of the guys. Draft in after their, yeah. that is when it's going to start. But if Kyle Pitts has what two touchdowns this year? I mean, you're the offensive coordinator, right? Uh, essentially, you're the, you're the offensive mind. Well, I think least. you run into the same problem with Kyle Pitts that Julio Jones ran into for the latter portions of his career, which was he's the only guy. Yeah. And so, or he's the guy, and so they're going to cover him up with three people, and so all of a sudden, Calvin Ridley's running open for a touchdown, and Calvin Ridley has a ton of touchdowns in a season. So, last year, you're like, get down inside the 20, and you're like, okay, yeah, we're, we're looking at number eight, and that's who we're I focusing on, and all, all of a sudden, Cordero Patterson scoring a touchdown. But can great players, though, find a way still to get open and make plays? Uh, Yes, but at the same time, like, Jamar Chase had a wonderful season last year, but he had three other receivers on that team that were really good and that you had to pay attention to, too. Yeah. Auden Tate not, not, not causing you to quake in your boots. I get it. Right. Uh, but again, I, to me, I'm looking at that. I'm looking at Drake London. I mean, you've gone offensive in your drafts uh, to start with under, uh, under Arthur Smith. And again, I'm not being ultimately negative about him. I'm just saying, to me, where, where is he as a coach? I want to see some of these guys come in and make a splash. It doesn't mean the team is translating to wins, but yeah. I want... I don't want there going into year two of Drake London to be like, yeah, he's tall. Can he get separation? Like, wrong wrong answer. Like, you got to find a way to give him the ball, right? Yeah. I mean, that's your number one pick. You have another number one pick playing tight end. Like, you have to figure out ways to have them, you know, be uberly successful so that when you're looking at it and say, look, we're cutting you slack on the fact that the roster is not where it needs to be. But the guys that you specifically are bringing in via the draft, that's you and Terry Fontenot, like, 
some of those guys have got to pan out. And last year, you really you can go look at the numbers. I mean, you had one draft pick that really played significantly and, and made an impact for you. That's that that can't be the case. Yeah, and, and you got a couple of guys that you I think you really need to see perform this year. Number one, obviously, is Drake London. You want to see that. There's no longer a one-year hiatus where you're like, okay, it was his rookie year. Jamar Chase was like one of the best receivers. That's in the an NFL unfortunate last year. bar that's been thrown out there, but it's but out I'm just there. Saying, so it's yeah. the reality is a yeah. rookie can come in and make an impact. And so, is he going to go and try to set records? But he's not I, that I type of receiver either. But do I think he could be the leading receiver for a rookie next year? Thousand percent. And so, if he's not close to that, then yeah, maybe you're not doing your job there, Kyle Pitts. You do want to see him take that next step. And I think. Matt Ryan's obviously a better quarterback, right? Sure. But I think behind an okay offensive line in this system, right, I think Marcus Mariota maybe fits with Arthur Smith a little bit better, right? More boot actions. You can get some of the more zone kind of play actions where if Matt Ryan does that, he's doing that play action and then dropping straight back. And if something breaks down, Matt Ryan's not extending yeah, the play. chunking it out of bounds, yeah. Correct. And so I think Marcus Mariota ex- extends it a little bit and allows you to do a little bit more with that offense in that sense, you're not doing more in an offense with Marcus Mariota than you're doing with Matt Ryan, but you want to see Drake London take that next step. You want to see Kyle Pitts take that next step, and then Troy Anderson, the linebacker, right? So you have the this was supposed to be the guaranteed thing, right, on yeah. one side, where, okay, you have the guaranteed thing in Drake London. He needs to perform. Flip side of that is, okay, let me see you develop the guy yeah, that everybody said learn how to play linebacker. is the freaky prospect that Mel Kuyper had as a first-round talent. Right. Okay. The flip side, let's see you develop a guy and have him come up and be an impact player because make no mistake about it, they want him to be that next to Deion Jones. So it's or with Sands Deion Jones potentially at some uh, point. Next year, yeah, maybe. <laughs> so it's looking at both of those, but at the same time, if the Falcons win two, three games next year, I don't inherently believe that's Arthur Smith's fault. They and they're finally starting to say this a little bit. They inherited a dumpster fire yeah, you can't say, of a situation. They, you say rebuild and flowery branch, they like snarl at you. Like, don't, don't, don't say but that. But no, but even Terry Fondo has started to come around a little bit and say, not rebuild, but like what we inherited wasn't good. Of the course. situation we inherited was bad. Go out and get free agents, guys. Well, we can't. Next year, I mean, that we was, can. Yeah, that was kind of the talk about, hey, just go get some free agents. We have no money. We, yep. we, we can't. Who will play for the cheapest we could possibly hand out? And that's basically what you ended up with. But I, I, I am, and I didn't mean to like, do you believe in Arthur Smith is like a bad like, oh, he sucks. I, I was. It's one of those things where, hey, you got to kind of coach him up, and I know that's not something you hear a lot in the National Football League. Yeah. It's, hey, how can your scheme – it's putting guys in your scheme and making I it work. Not seven necess- wins last year is a feather in his cap. I, I would agree because yeah. it was bad. It was bad last year. We'll come back. We've got more. Talking more football here on a uh, Friday. We'll get a quick check of the uh, U.S. Open leaderboard as well. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. You gotta get the yell in there. I know how this works. Yeah, you're, Christian you're, was giving me the don't don't talk yet. You gotta get the hold, yet. hold it. Yeah, you gotta get the guys screaming in there on the rejoiner. Uh, U.S. Open going on. I know you're downplaying. Like eh, it's it's Thursday. Nobody cares about Thursday. But Roy McIlroy, who has been in the news a lot, is right there at three under with some other guys. I'm hey, not really familiar. Lingworth takey. and Taryn. I don't know who they are. But first take or my uh, my sports takey saying. Okay. You can't win a tournament on Thursday. But you can absolutely lose it. But if you're five it. over like Phil, but you can you're not going to lose it. <laughs> yeah, Phil Mickelson plus well, yeah, five. But these guys aren't worried about winning because you know, no, no. they got those guaranteed salaries, so it doesn't matter. They get the they got the uh, the money on the flip side. But I do th- I, I will say they do enjoy playing in the majors. That was a big point for some of them. Uh, Brian Harmon, though, local, minus two in the clubhouse. One shot off the pace 
right now. So we'll see how he shapes up uh, going into Friday. But, yeah, a lot of the uh, guys that people are talking about, DeChambeau's over par, Mickelson, Patrick Reed's hit even. So nobody up there within a shot or two uh, that you talked about going to that live tour. So we'll come back. We will talk some football. As a matter of fact, that's all it says on the rundown for the last hour. We're talking football. I have Christian on the show. It's what we have to do. We're coming back. Final hour, three and out. It is good to be back. It is three and out. It is Thursday afternoon. We got Braves baseball tomorrow. Uh, they are in Chicago with those very Chicago-esque Chicago. 220 starts. So we will not be on the show tomorrow. We'll have Braves baseball for you as they go for 15 in a row. He is Christian Gokel. He's filling in for Ben Troop here today. And it's the final hour of the show. And, you know, Christian and I go, we go way back pandemic on the show where we unashamedly talk football. So I just told him, uh, I said, hey, uh, I just said, uh, hey, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, are we uh, doing uh, that? Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, do you have it still? Brother, that, that, that didn't go nowhere. All right. Well, I mean, if you, if you, if you, if you got it, let's do it. This is what we did all during during the pandemic. We you ready? looking for stuff. We yeah, go ahead. Are you ready? The quarterback was all hug it, chug it, football all night. Does that really go on for 15 minutes, brother? We got we got stuff to talk about. I'm just saying. I, I just I just noticed the uh, the bed. Usually it's like they're short. That thing's rolling, but yeah, no, we just let it. We let, it's a bed for a reason. You just like let it stay under there. I mean, is Roethlisberger outdated? And Ro- Ro- I mean, he's great, but he's now out of the league. Yeah, but anyway, but that that scene will never. Not that, be funny. No, that is true. Take it away, man. You said, hey, I got some things I want to talk about. Yeah, so I so go ahead. I think it's interesting because more so this year than any years in the last like five to six. Basically, the big-name stars at skill position players are getting older, right? Right. Or have almost completely aged themselves out of the league. That tends to happen. I say, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, father time, undefeated. But last decade, I say, who's the best receiver in the league? A lot of people are going to throw out Julio Jones. Right. Not even on a team right now. A lot of people are going to throw out DeAndre Hopkins. Banged up. Not active right now, right? So when we're talking about the best skill groups, Around the NFL, for a long time, a lot of people might point at, I don't know, the Chiefs, right? You have Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Yep. That's not the case anymore. Tyreek Hill's on the move. So I think we kind of have to revamp and kind of, I guess, I don't know. What do you call it when you zero out a, a scale, right? You just got to get reset. Yeah, recalibrate. Recalibrate was the word I was searching that what you're for. Looking there. for? Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> who we view as the best skill groups right. inside the NFL. So, Kevin, if you had to take a guess right now, per the analytics, who has the best skill group in the NFL right now? Are we talking running Three backs? Three receivers, receivers tight, tight end, ends. running back. Why don't we consider quarterback a skill group, a skill guy? Because that, that, that can kind of skew it I know, a little bit. I'm just saying. Um, man. Because what we see the most out of is 11 personnel, right? Right. Receivers, tight end, running back. I mean, I don't know if they're the best, but Cincinnati would be up there. Cincinnati is number one. Are they? According to the advanced okay. metrics. So you have Jamar Chase. Because I was Chase. thinking, like, hey, running back, they're okay. But it was like, I thought that might skew down. I don't know how they weighed it. So there you go. Yeah, Jamar, uh, Jamar Chase, top three receiver in the league right now, sure. in my opinion. Unbelievable. Right? 
And then you have T. Higgins, who's very good. Tyler Boyd, who's very good. Joe Mixon, who's a really good NFL running back. And then do you know who their tight end is now? Lay it on me. Hayden Hurst. Ah, Former Atlanta Falcon, Falcon. who was not the problem with that offense. Hayden Hurst is a really good tight end. So right now, that's not bad. Hey, that's very good. Yeah. It's not not bad. It's, it's the best really in the good. league, according to that. Yeah, but I mean, you have a top three receiver, mm-hmm. probably a top ten running back. That probably is what throws it up there. And then a couple of what top thirty, top forty receivers. That's the re- yeah. That's the reason I hesitated because I was like, you know, Joe Mixon is good. I think T Higgins is really. Good. But it, like, when you talk about hey, look at the team that has a like, great running back, would that pull them up more? So, I was thinking, you know, Joe Mixon, if he was number nine or ten, maybe that pulls but him down. Who to really has a great running back? In- Nobody, because you're... Well, you're talking about like a game-breaker, this guy changes things. Well, you usually have two guys now. Yeah. So, nobody, probably. Maybe, would, maybe the Titans? When he's healthy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, number two... But even then, you got to have a secondary guy. Yeah. So, it's not like, hey, our game plan is to just run D. Henry yeah. into the ground. And this is from Ted Wynn from The Athletic. Uh, if you want to see... The full list, you can subscribe to The Athletic. I encourage right. you to do so. They do put out a lot of really good stuff. Number two is a team a lot of people have really high expectations for this year, but the guy that you mentioned that you think should be a skill position guy, a lot of people have question marks about it, the quarterback position. Number two, Miami Dolphins. I was going to say Miami, but I, I keep man, I keep talking myself off of this. I was like, oh, it's going to be somebody else. But yeah, I mean, what uh, what they say, hey, two is the most accurate. He's more uh, accurate three yeah. yards out than, <laughs> than <laughs> I thought that was such a weird quote. Where it's like, hey, Tua's more accurate on the, like, basically hand it to me throws. Yeah. The, they, they, the, I mean, come on. I get you want to hype your guy, but Mahomes is is really, really good. Don't He's got a Super Bowl. He's been to another Super Bowl. Well, you, know, yeah. don't, you don't have to sell me on, you like, You want to hype your guy, and he said, Mah- he, be- said, he said for arm talent, it's Mahomes, but he said for accuracy, you know, you got to give your guy a little bit of something. something. It's like Devonta Adams. They ask him. Uh, who's better, Aaron Rodgers? Will you take arm or, talent over accuracy? But he said, who's better? They asked uh, Adams, yeah. who's better, Derek Carr or Aaron Rodgers? Because you know, uh, you know, skill wise, it's pretty, it's pretty comparable. Please. What are you supposed to say? I know that, but you look. It's oh, it doesn't mean you think Tua stinks if you think a guy who's won a Super Bowl is a better quarterback. What are you supposed to say, Kevin? I get it. Uh, but it's like, said, I mean, come on. But, I mean, so you have Tyreek Hill, right? By the way, are you arm talent guy or an accuracy guy? Accuracy is more important than the NFL. Because, I mean, I think if you're an arm talent guy, I think of a guy like Brett Favre where it's like that dude can well, put he's it. he's a Hall of Famer. But, he, but he, I mean, is he known for accuracy? No, he's, you know, interception Brett. But he could, he's got arm talent. That's no, a different era of football, though, you know? I mean, Brady would be the accuracy over arm talent. Well, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking okay, about sorry. Sports. I, I G, took you, you down just, a wormhole. You, you I'm take sorry. take it down the quarterbacks. Uh, <laughs> no, I, so Tyreek Hill, obviously the new addition. You have Jalen Waddle. So two of the fastest receivers in the NFL. And then you have Cedric Wilson, who's a really good third option slot kind of receiver. Mike Gusecki, really good tight end. And then they go get Raheem Mostert, who's maybe the fastest running back in the NFL. Not too far removed yep. from a 200-yard performance That's in the true. NFC Championship game. Are they winning the division? I don't see why not. I mean, the Bills are really good. Patriots aren't going to win that division. I think they're second the, place in the in division. And the, the Jets. <laughs> it ain't the Jets. It ain't the Jets. That's why I was smiling. Again, if you want to see the full list, you can head to the Athletic. But Couldn't say it with a straight face. But number three, uh, and we were speaking about it, Devontae Adams uh, and the Las Vegas Raiders. 
Obviously, adding Devontae Adams helps, but you have Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller uh, as your tight end one, and then Foster Moreau is who they have listed yeah. here as their tight end two. Really good as well. And then Josh Jacobs, quietly, sure has been I, an excellent uh, running back. I think people love to hate on the Raiders, and they're and they'll they'll put it on Carr. Their skill position guys are really good. They're fun. You put the Raiders in any other division, and they're probably going to be a favorite to get it done. But I mean, the fact of the matter is, look who you have to beat just to try to make it to the playoffs. And I actually like Derek Carr. I don't know why. I mean, people love to hate on Derek Carr. I actually think he's a good quarterback. Yeah. Is he? Is he going to be? Look, if you ask me, write down your quarterbacks and who are the top five. Do I have Derek Carr there? No, but. It's surely been proven you can win a Super Bowl with a heck of a lot less than what you have at Derek Carr. Trent Dilfer has a Super Bowl. Whoa. What are you trying to say about Trent Dilfer? Dilfer Dimes. I'm saying you had, had Ray Lewis in the great team. What are you trying to say about old Trent? Joe Flacco has a Super hey, Bowl. Hey, what are you trying to say about Joe? I know he was extremely accurate in those in those runs. No, it's okay. You can say it about him. But no, we're not talking but about I mean, quarterbacks we, here, Kevin. I, I know. I, I keep coming back to the quarterback. But yeah, he's they're very good. Raiders are very, very good, skill-wise. And they have another guy that does some other things that I'm not allowed to talk about. It's fair. Just don't don't talk about them. No, I'm, I'm talking not, skill guys I'm not here. Doing it. I'm not going to do it anymore. But no, I just, I found I it, the thing I found the most interesting about it is just kind of how we have to, like I said, recalibrate who we view as the best skill groups inside the NFL. Obviously, it's still dominated by quarterbacks, right? Certainly. So, well, like, I mean, I think you look at it and say top three skill guys, Cincinnati, yep, Miami, and the Raiders. Cincinnati what? went to the Super Bowl last went year. Went to the Super Bowl. I was going to say, those other two teams, is anybody picking them to go to the conference championship game? I like game the either? Dolphins, man. I understand that, but I'm saying skill position alone doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get there. Well, no, but you said you asked the question. Do, are you picking them to go to the conference championship game? The Dolphins have a top eight defense from last year. That front seven's filthy, right? They've done a good job keeping it together. The question mark around the Dolphins is Tua, but I don't know that we've really seen him with an elite coordinator, which say what you will, coordinators can change the game for you, right? Shanahan, his years with Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan is an MVP quarterback, and then Shanahan goes and takes over uh, the 49ers, and he has Jimmy Garoppolo in the damn Super Bowl calling plays for him. So coordinators matter, and so now you have a Shanahan disciple right. who's been with him. Mike McDaniels has been with him for a long time, even his stops in Atlanta, right? And prior to that, now he's the head coach for the Dolphins. And I think you put Tua in that system with a good enough running game and, like I said, maybe the fastest offense in the NFL. He doesn't have to throw the ball 80 yards down the field. Tyreek Hill's best plays weren't Patrick Mahomes going over the top to him. Tyreek Hill's best plays were 15-yard in routes where you can't cover him because he's so fast, and then as soon as he catches it, he's gone. Jalen Waddell had an unbelievable year last year in the NFL, but I still think the best play I've ever seen him make was the 2018 SEC Championship game against a fast, fast Georgia defense. He caught just a 10-yard in route and then made everybody look like they were standing still. So they have one of the fastest, if not the fastest, offense in the NFL, Tua just has to throw drag routes, and those guys are going to have all the yak in the world. It's a good thing he's accurate and on the short defense stuff. is damn good. I'm telling you, watch out for the Dolphins. I'm, I'm just saying. Are we going farther? Are we going number four? No, let's stay no. top three. Okay. I, look, I, I think those three are very, very good. I think that's – I think the blueprint, obviously, if you can get something like that with a moderately successful 
guy we're not allowed to talk about, then you're going to have a recipe to win a lot of games. I still think defense will largely win you a lot of, uh, championship, but I don't know, man. I like I, the Rams was very very nasty. They were, very, but I you've seen some teams where it's like you have really good offense and good enough defense, and you can. I mean, could you say that the the Bengals got there with a really good offense and a good enough defense? They didn't win the Super Bowl, obviously, but yeah, the I think the Bengals got there more with clutch last year. But I think about it, they were getting we were riding the car together. They were getting smoked by the Chiefs <laughs> in that first half, and then they just they they came back and they clutched it out. I mean, I will say the defense did clutch up in number. I think the combination that usually works the best is explosive offense with opportunistic defense. Sure, where it's just get us turnovers. Point being, though. When you say defense wins championship, you don't need like the Ray Lewis Ravens. I, I don't. I don't know that. That's, get it done. I don't know that that's true in the NFL anymore. I think it's still true even at college I mean, football's level because it worked for the Rams when you have Aaron Donald, who's a freak. But that again. But, but no, they they've had Aaron Donald for a long sure. time. They've had Aaron Donald since they were in St. Louis. But that right? defense was what really really good. They were last really year. good, but they've had really good defense for a long time. What did it take for them to win a Super Bowl? Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford. And- so I still think the NFL is a quarterback-dominated league. So you're not buying the defense wins chain. I, I, I buy I it. At, I buy it at every level of football except for the NFL. Because I, I, I think the way the game's going, you need a better offense before you get it, get the defense together. You got to be able to score. Yeah, I mean, look at what the Falcons with... are doing. <laughs> is that a? <laughs> All right. Besides them, leave me alone. Besides, besides them. <laughs> Yeah, last That's year. A bad your, example. So last year, your best defenses were the Buffalo Bills. Yep, good team. They're right there, right? Uh, New England Patriots, eh. Denver Broncos, right? But you, are you if you're if you're with any one of those teams, are you investing more in offense right New now? New Orleans or Saints, Tennessee Titans, right? All of those teams. When it came down to it, and again, for the Bills, you're going against Patrick Mahomes. That's tough. But for all those teams, when it came down to it, they just didn't have the quarterback to get it done. Broncos, you have everything you need. What I mean, do you do? I don't know if you I'm go ready get to get Russell Wilson. I don't know if I'm ready to say that Josh Allen can't get it done. But last year, he like, just there's hasn't a reason why, gotten it there's done. A reason but, why every, but there's a reason why everyone's projecting to this year is because when it's come down to it, and he's been against a team that's equal yeah. or better than his, he hasn't been able to overcome that hill yet. Again, it's so easy in his career. I'm not trying to do the thing where like sure. he's never going to get it done. But I'm just saying, I think it's more he the, hasn't done it the, yet. The better quarterback play is going to win out. And Tom Brady makes it seem like it's so easy to win Super Bowl like rings. But, of, but that was one of those <laughs> games against the Chiefs where it was like last team with the ball wins. I understand that. I, I I look at Josh Allen and say he hasn't done it yet. Not that he can't. I hate when we slap that label on guys like, oh, he can't win the big one. But even look at Is the 49ers. Is he can or he hasn't? But look at the 49ers. They're going to waste an excellent defense, crazy, weird, good offense, and they're going to waste it with Jimmy Garoppolo. They're not going to win anything while he's their quarterback. I don't know. Are, are, are we going to see Trey Lance this year, though? I don't know. I mean, I think if we were going to, we might have already. I yeah. In the NFL, I don't get why you hold guys if they're ready to play. Yeah. That, I mean, Tennessee there's no Titans, incentive to do it. Excellent defense. When it comes down to it, you have Ryan Tannehill. Other teams have Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> or last year, Joe Burrow. And Tannehill really got you in the in the overtime. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> Tannehill got paid, and he ain't going I no was, place. It's like, man, like yeah. it was set up. I know he had some bad interceptions, and when I say bad, like he made a throw and it was it was deflected or not caught by his receiver and then intercepted. But still, yeah. overtime that was tough. 
That was tough. Oh, yeah. Did we really just burn through the whole unashamedly talking we about did. that? We did. Boy, that was Yeah, you, you're easy wondering breezy. why it was 15 minutes long. I, I, I did. Glad we did it. We'll come back. We've unabashedly, got, unashamedly. Unashamedly, unapologetically. Talking about on football. everything. Talking about football. We'll come back. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out. Kevin Thomas, Christian Gokel filling in for Ben Troop as we talk football. Apparently, the NCAA is talking about transfer reporter windows. Uh, their recommendation uh, is that there's two windows, uh, which would be the last weekend in November. Okay. Through the early signing period, which is in December. So you get about two, three weeks. So right after rivalry weekend, you can dip if you want to. And then April 15th through May 1st, which is usually, I think May 1st is the deadline now. You have to let them know before May 1st. But So two windows proposed where you would know guys are transferring. So following the culmination of the regular season. Essentially. I know there's yeah. some teams that play after that, but it would open up. They said it basically... Well, unless you're the school that you can't transfer from, called the service academies. Right. But they said it would basically coincide with contact periods with recruiting. that the tra- So basically the transfer portal would open up. Somebody goes and you're automatically you know, in a contact period where you can go after recruits to maybe replace whoever's... Yeah, there, there has to be some kind of legislation to it. Now, the money side of it, I, I can understand because it's not contracts, right? It's endorsement deals. Right, that's that's different. So you can't put a salary cap on endorsements. It's going to be very hard to right. regulate NIL deals. But when it comes to the transfer portal, I do think that's something you can regulate. And so, say a Jordan Addison is leaving, and your pit, at least you're going to know prior to the biggest signing day for a school right. like Pitt, or prior to starting off your camps, so you can go ahead and get somebody else if you need to get right. somebody else in there and it's not just sitting there with this huge void so right. yeah i agree there needs to be some sort of regulation about when players can transfer it can't just be week eight and they're yeah. like yeah i'm done well i mean you've seen that i mean what was it uh that's how trevor lawrence uh got to start right it was what week four and then it's just uh i'm trying to think who the kelly bryant the kelly uh, kelly bryant was like i'm i'm, I'm gonna transfer i know that's tough it, i don't think I, that's how it happened did he get benched first? Did yeah. He, I thought he was like, or it was kind of behind the scenes, like shut me down yeah. and I'm going to be out of here. Save me a, a year of eligibility with the uh, four games or less. Yeah, I think, it was, but, I mean, I think but, it was kind of a conversation that because the, the redshirt rule was. That's true. You could play four games. So I didn't get that confused, but we have yeah. seen some guys in the transfer portal era play a couple of games and or, or at least have a couple of games like, yeah, I'm going to, I mean, who knows if you're a coach how that's going to play out. A guy gets injured. Well, I could have used that guy and now he's gone. So. Correct. Uh, I do like the idea of windows. I mean, and people say, why coaches can leave whenever they want. Well, I think they can get fired whenever they want. I don't know if you're getting, I mean, Clay Hilton, it took a while for him to get uh, rehired back in, and and Georgia Southern was the first to do that. I I just look at it and say, hey. There have been some examples where an interim coach, because the guy's leaving, coaches the final game. Right, but but I'm saying, but like, if you get fired three games in, you're probably not getting hired immediately or you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so I look at it and say, look, we oh, give windows. else fire their coach. Right. We give windows for everything else, right? Like if you want to go to the NFL, there's a window to declare whether you're going yeah. or staying. So why wouldn't this be any different? It's, I, I look at this much of kids like, hey, rather than like, hey, it's a two-week notice that I'm quitting, it's that window where you can say, all right, this is it's open. I'm there leaving. has to be some kind right. of schedule. Where you yeah. get some kind of uh, understanding where the coaches are like, okay, in this window, these we might have some guys coming. They're going to tell us they're gone, and we can account for that. Uh, I think the biggest thing is uh, 
coaches want to know what their roster is. And I think that is the biggest thing that gets lost is so many people are like, coaches don't like having the power. They don't want these kids to go certain places. I think some of that may be true. I think it's more of, hey, the number one priority on every college campus for a college football coach is what are my numbers? What's my roster look like? Yeah. Am I at 85? And how many guys am I losing? How many guys am I getting? That's what they care about. Leave if you want to leave, but I got to know you're leaving. I yeah. can't have you leave now, and the two guys leave three weeks later. And for, like That's all I think most coaches want to know is what, what does my team look like, and can I have it stable while the season's going on, i.e., this is my pool of guys I'm working with. We're not playing two games, and a guy decides he's done and, and is going to transfer. It's fascinating, man. It's just both of these things hitting at the same time has completely flipped the sport and just roster it, management and how things go. Well, and, I mean, I, I think NIL, people thought it would be kind of a, a new day where players were able to capitalize. I don't know if people envisioned the way it kind of came about. I think the and, NIL on top of the transfer portal because you didn't you you weren't inherently thinking about transferring for NIL. Correct. <laughs> I mean, now was, we all knew that boosters were going to get involved as soon as you let players start making money. Sure, like, that was just known. And again, I'm I'm here for the arguments that that's probably not a bad thing because you should never cap what somebody's able to earn. Sure. But that being said, when it comes to sports, there has to be a salary cap if you wanted to be a quote unquote competitive league. Right. But that being said. It's not salary. Right. But and, and, well, college football has never been capped right. in any way. That's why, no offense, New Mexico State can't keep up with Alabama. There's like, a just, fascinating article uh, that The Athletic put together that's about that. Like, how much would it cost if somebody like the Saudi Arabians wanted to build a national champion? And they basically extrapolated By their own it out. university? Well, no, it's just like, say, like university? No, say you have a billionaire <laughs> who's a, uh, I don't know, UConn fan. Right. And they're like, I-, I want a national championship. How much At would it UConn? cost? Yeah. And they said, how much would it cost? And they extrapolated it out. And it came out about $644 million. That much? Over four years. I was going to say like $150 million maybe because you have to have facility structures, coaches, staff, all that. Well, exactly. But And then you have to recruit well enough, long enough to be able to, to do it. And if you're believing Ryan Day, then it's going to cost well, $13 million. So close to a together. billion dollars. Yeah. But you think about it. That's how much Alabama, that's how much Georgia, they're spending that much money. I think what Georgia's recruiting budget was... They just made Todd Hartley, Georgia's tight end coach, just came out a couple hours ago. He is now the highest paid (laughs) non-coordinator in college football. At how much? A lot. (laughs) What does that mean? A lot. I can tell you. Hold on. Over a million dollars? Oh, God, yeah. For a tight ends coach? Well, listen, when you're getting Brock Bowers there... I understand that. And what you got pretty much your last several quarterbacks are all in the league and or tight ends rather. And I think the three you got on the the, the three primary ones that you got on the roster are all gonna end up in the league at some point. Does it say? Is it like financial terms not disclosed other than he's the highest paid non coordinator? Extends him through twenty twenty three. Over a million dollars for a positional coach. That's, oh, are you talking about like per year or total value? What's the total uh, yeah, oh, okay. per year? Per year six hundred and fifty thousand. I mean that's I mean, dude. There's some coordinators at at G five schools that ain't yeah. making six hundred thousand. That's that's there's that's coaches, that's swimming in the deep some, end. There's some head coaches swimming in that the aren't deep making end. that much. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. It's not how we wanted to end the show today, Christian. Yeah. It's, what, it's, what did you expect when I'm on here? I I know not how we wanted to end the show today. God, no Braves tonight. They look the Cubs have lost ten in a row. The Braves have won fourteen in a row. 
Somebody's streak is continuing tomorrow. 105 pregame, 220 first pitch. We got game six, though, of the NBA Finals coming up for you tonight, 8 p.m. with the pregame coverage tip-off just after 9 o'clock tonight. Celtics win. It goes to game seven. Golden State wins. It's all over. Uh, yeah, I think we can go ahead and pass this one away. I think Golden State puts him to bed tonight. So Boston's going to be left with those awesome T-shirts with the empty banner on them. Correct. Watching Steph Curry celebrate. <laughs> Enter the legendary uh, arena once again.